0: Today's reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Christians in in Galatia, chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. You may like to follow this in the Church Bibles on page 1172. It's handy to keep it open and you can um, pick up any references during the sermon. Or in the large print Bibles, page 1872. Five six. So, page one one seven two in the church Bibles. Life by the Spirit. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other this is the word of the lord thanks be to god
1: morning. And what a great passage, too. Let's just pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we come to this great passage of Scripture, would you unite us in Christ, and through your grace, would you empower us so that we, too, can show your love to the world and make a change for Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Not quite sure of the lecterns here, but never mind. Right. So, the book of Galatians, book of Galatians, it's a great book, it is in part, though, a rebuke from Paul to the churches in Galatia because, you see, they'd started well, they'd received the gospel, uh, they'd embraced Paul and his message, but then after Paul left to go on his missionary journey, false teachers came in and hindered the believers. They began to teach that the Gentile men had to be circumcised in order to be truly saved, changed on the outside so they could be washed clean on the inside. And these false teachers told the Galatians that it wasn't enough just to admit sin, embrace Christ as the only means of salvation. They needed to do more, become more Jewish. It was pernicious stuff. It denied both the doctrine of salvation, by which we are saved, and it skewered the doctrine of sanctification, by which we grow in the likeness of Christ, aided by the Holy Spirit. So Paul writes to these Galatians, he writes in chapter 3, Oh foolish Galatians, he says, what magician has hypnotized you? Cast an evil spell upon you, for you used to see the meaning of Jesus Christ's death as clearly as though I'd waved a placard before you, with a picture on it of Christ dying on the cross. There's nothing you can do to earn your way to salvation, especially not by merit or outward signs of religion. It's God working on us from the inside. It's his grace alone that does the business." As for sanctification, have you gone completely crazy, he says. It's only after we're saved that the work of sanctification can begin. I ask you again, did God give you the power of the Holy Spirit and work miracles amongst you as a result of your trying to obey the Jewish laws? No, of course not. And he goes on and on and on for about the first four four chapters of of this letter. And as always with Paul, what he sets out to do is he sets out to set the theological stuff straight first before he moves on to the practical applications. And it's the practical details that we get in chapter 5. The false teachers have been trying to convince the Galatians that it was all down to their own efforts. So he's keen to set them straight about the lifestyle practicalities of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Hagia asmos is the Greek word for sanctification. It's very interesting. It's also the same Greek word for holiness. It's the same word. And it carries the idea of being set apart from the service of the world and called instead to the service of God. It's actually derived from the word for saint. In the New Testament, sanctification is used in two distinct ways. Firstly, we are sanctified, we are set apart by the righteousness of Christ, what the theologians call imputed righteousness. But then secondly, sanctification is what Paul is batting on about in this passage. It's the progressive work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There are about a hundred verses in the Bible about sanctification. Exodus and Leviticus talk about the Israelites turning back to God so that he might sanctify them. John fifteen four, abiding Christ, so we can bear fruit. Acts twenty talks about being built up by the words of grace to claim our inheritance, and Romans nineteen of course six six nineteen talks about presenting ourselves as slaves of righteousness for sanctification. Ephesians walking in the newness of life. Even in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we're urged to wash our robes clean and white in the blood of the Lamb. And here in Galatians, verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Abiding in Christ, being built up by the words of grace, walking in newness of life, a feeling you might have heard this before, I think it was two weeks ago, wasn't it, when Mike was talking about discipleship, about the progressive nature of discipleship. When Janie and I were ordained as priests, Bishop Joe presented each of us with a book entitled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Instant Society because we do live in a society that expects instant results for little or no effort. But as I know, all you lovely people know so well, living in the Spirit is no quick fix. Rather, through the New Testament, there is this constant theme of personal warfare and struggle against sin. God's standard for holiness is so high It is not something we can fully obtain in this life. Human nature, even after conversion, can never be entirely free from the ravages of the fall. Even Paul had his struggle. Remember Romans 7. Although I want to do good, in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the sin within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Well, that's the bad news. The good news is the bit I left out from that quotation in Romans where Paul says at the end, Thanks be to God, thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. In our own strength, striving to become holy is a dead duck, as I discovered early on in my Christian life. Before I came to faith here in St. Saviour's, I'd never read the Bible. So as a shiny new convert, when I started to read this passage in Galatians, I was keen to get started. I was going to put the fruit of the Spirit, all that stuff, into practice. I was going to deal with my own sin nature once and for all. I was going to manifest all the fruit of the Spirit all the time, memorize the nine graces, keep repeating them over and over. I was going to become ever so saintly. I was going to make John Skinner, our rector, and Malcolm Round, our curate, so proud of me. And I was going to do it all by sheer willpower, under my own steam. Did it work? Well, what do you think? Now, of course it didn't work. It was a hopeless strategy. It was doomed from the start. And it was only when Malcolm took me on one side and explained that perhaps I might need a little bit of extra help from the Holy Spirit. That's when my journey of sanctification started. A journey which, in the grace of God, I'm still walking. So, just as Malcolm Round sorted me out... In this passage, Paul is rebuking the Galatians, who, like me, got it all wrong too. Far from being saved by grace alone, and then simply left to our own devices, we are both saved by the power of Christ, we are saved by the power of Christ, and then we access that same power through the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's when we begin our journey of transformation a transformation into the likeness of Christ. Verse 24, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nation with its passions and desires. It's not that the sinful nature has gone away, but it now has competition, and it's ultimately being defeated. Paul isn't saying You must be perfect in order to be saved. What he's saying is that the spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit inside of you, won't allow you to live in constant disobedience to God. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires as I discovered early on in my Christian life, I couldn't get to grips with my sinful nature under my own steam. And if you think about it, that's that's a good reason for that, because if I had, it would have filled me with pride, wouldn't it? And that wouldn't have helped me at all. No, my sinful nature had to be overcome by Christ then then when I let the Holy Spirit in on my bad stuff, I could move forward again. The Australian coat of arms, natural connection here, the Australian coat of arms has two animals on it. Can anybody tell me what they are? What two animals are on the Australian coat of arms? Claire, I thought you'd know. Kangaroo and emu, well done. Did, every, did you know that, everybody? Let's have a look at that. There it is. Claire, do you know why they chose them? Yes. Let me tell you. They were chosen because you lovely Australians, it really appealed to you as, as citizens. Because the emu and the kangaroo have two characteristics that they share in common. They can't go backwards. The kangaroo can't go backwards because of its tail. And the emu has got this like this three toed foot. So it falls over every time it goes backwards. And that really appealed to the Australians. Are there any other Australians here? No? Okay, good. But you see the analogy, it's the same with our journey of sanctification. We may go slowly at times. We may head off on a side path. We may even get diverted down a dead end. But with the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's pretty difficult to go backwards. As C.S. Lewis said, isn't it funny that day by day, nothing seems to change. But when you look back, everything is different. So verse 16 again. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, you're all saying to me, how do you walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh? Well, for me, the 19th century writer, Hannah Pearson Smith, puts it very simply in her book, The Christian's Secret of a Happy Life. I mean, if you saw that book on a bookshelf, The Christian's Secret of a Happy Life, don't tell me you couldn't pick it up. I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't resist it. I had to know what the secret of a happy Christian life was. And she just sums it up in six words. Hannah Pearson Smith, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. Six words, let go and let God in. Let go and let God in. It's that simple. How do we do it? How do we let God in? Well, if we go back to chapter three of Galatians, verse six, we we find all the information we need. Let me read it to you, verse six. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, for this reason those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. I got very excited about the sermon yesterday in, in the royal wedding and, and the passage was wonderful wasn't it? That wonderful passage from, from Song of Solomon. We don't ever hear that at weddings. I I hope we'll hear some more of that at weddings. But wasn't it great, the way that guy sort of opened stuff up for us? And he did that because he's excited about the gospel. And I have to say, I get excited about it too. I get excited by being mesmerized by the enormity of God's great plan for us for eternity. I get gripped in fascination by the incredible cost of our salvation, bought for us through the blood of Christ. And I think when we stand amazed at the lavishness of God's grace, when we're entranced by the blessing of his indwelling Holy Spirit, when we're enthralled that in Christ, in Christ, we are all heirs together, members together, sharing together in the blessing of God's grace-filled acts of love, when we're blown away by the realization that we are special people, children of the living God, created in his image, an image, unlike the false counterfeit images so often portrayed on social media, this image never distorts and never fades. Hallelujah! Then, when I get hold of that stuff, when you get hold of that stuff, then the letting go and the letting God in really isn't that difficult. Sanctifying grace is ours for the taking, freely given to us by the God of all grace, if we want it. And all we have to do is to let go and let God in. Six simple words. Then, then when the Holy Spirit starts to control our lives, we can manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, And self control. Note that the word fruit is singular. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, well, okay, you can cherry pick from the list a bit of joy today, a smidgen of self control tomorrow, oh, and peace should be ripe by Thursday. You can't cherry pick it. The fruit of the Spirit is first and foremost a complete package. Nine characteristics, nine traits, wrapped in one godly blessing. You get the whole bunch in one go. Now, emotionally, you may not feel like one or two of the characteristics are that strong at any one time. But when you let go and let God in, spiritually, you get access to the whole package. That way, the more we get to know Christ the more we can begin to reflect his character in our lives. And that's what sanctifying grace is all about. That's what the power of love that Michael Curry preached about yesterday, that's what it's all about. That's real power. That is power that can change the world. And the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is agape love in action fruit of the Spirit is agape love in action. And if anyone thinks that's too impossible, then just remember that our God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. The power at work within us. Pascal, the great 17th century philosopher, wrote To change someone into a saint, grace is necessary and he who doubts it does not know what mankind is or what a saint is. What we are, what we are is God's gift to us. What we become is our gift to God, sanctifying grace, the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, given to the Church of Pentecost, still available to us today, right here and for all time. Amen.